You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Holy smokes, do you realize I'm not going to do a commercial to start into this. We're just going to fly right into Dr. History. Good morning. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? I'm good. I, I've, I've got to brag just a little bit. Is that oh, okay? well, I'm used to it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, a couple of months ago, the D.L. Evans Bank, uh, the lady that uh, uh, organizes tours and movies and plays and stuff, she called me and oh. she said, would you do a bus tour narration on a coach going up to the city of rocks and back and kind of like a hollywood tour yeah but all your people have long died (laughs) but me (laughs) so i'm telling the stories of casu county and burley and declo and albion and elba and anyway she had enough people uh want to get on the bus including john evans and his wife and uh so she said can you do a second day so tomorrow and thursday i'm going to be the official tour guide (laughs) on a tour bus oh and you'll like this zeb uh when we come back we're going to come back through the same route and we're going to stop and eat at wicks well now what route are you taking just from burley through declo albin almo city of rocks well not we're we're not actually going to go or into the city of rocks we're going to stop at almo because those coaches really can't go through all those yeah. rough roads. oh it's going to be on a big coach yeah the big coach thing and you're going to be holding the microphone i am and you you can say you see that big rock over there right there is where the leader of the wagon train right there at the division of the california and <laughs> oregon trail got up on that rock and they asked him where he was and he said i haven't got a clue <laughs> i'm lost <laughs> Anyway, I, I'm kind of honored to be that able to ask. an honor. To How many that. people are going to be on that bus? Well, there's 50 people on each bus. So. Oh, each bus? Mm-hmm. There's more than one? Well, yeah, one tomorrow and one Thursday. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. So anyway, it's well, kind of a fun... Are you going to wear a funny little cap that says... Uh, <laughs> Dr. History? Yeah, Dr. History. I, I don't have a hat that says you Dr. History. You better get one made up today I, real I quick. I should. I should. Okay. Yeah. Do you have any thank yous? I do. I want to say hi to Joe Smith back in Wayne, Illinois. I don't know if you know where Wayne, Illinois is. I don't know. I how, don't. I don't either. I so, don't. And also to Dennis. Dennis uh, is wanting to uh, get some of my CDs that give the, the actual CD to through the city of Rocks. I see. So I'm going to get some of those for him. So today's Zeb, we're going to talk about something that I'm not a real expert on, okay. which is not unusual, but I'm going to talk about gamblers. Oh, the and old I'm, West. And I'm going to mention some things that I, I 
I'm going to try to explain. Okay, right? here we go. Okay, so here picture this. Picture this, Zeb. When the cashier arrived at his Denver bank that morning in the 1870 he, 70s, he found three weary-looking, tar, tired-looking guys sitting on the steps. Now, they seemed too tired to be gunslinging bandits bent on robbing the bank, so he assumed that they were just good old customers. Uh-huh. All right? And the one guy said, we want to make a, uh, no, the, the bank guy says, uh, want to make a deposit, gentlemen, uh, he asked and stepped inside. And the one guy says, no, I want to negotiate a loan, mm-hmm. replied one of the men, and there ain't a minute to lose. I want $5,000 quicker than heck. Uh, and he said heck. He said heck. Oh, but he Yeah. Uh, the man explained that he and the others were involved in a high-stakes poker game at the saloon across the street. There was $4,000 already in the pot, and he needed the loan to stay in the game. Wow. Now, as collateral, he offered a sealed envelope uh, which contained his hand, the cards he was holding in the poker game. Oh, my. Okay. Now, I don't quite understand how that all works but anyway the cashier ripped open the envelope and found inside four kings and an ace and i guess that's good right? that's good that's really good that's good it's not the best but it's good so by the rules of the day before the days of the i guess the straight flush and royal flush this was an unbeatable hand wow all right now nevertheless the cashier but four aces would be better okay well anyway the cashier uh, just says no i'm not going to do that so oh, that, wow. Well, they went back out on the street. They were disappointed, but they ran into the bank's president, who had just come out from an all-night game of his own. Really? The president uh, took one look at the man's hand, ran into the bank, grabbed a bag of $20 bills, and followed these guys to their game. Ten minutes later, the bre- president returned to the bank and tossed the bag and an extra handful of $20 bills uh, for interest onto the counter. He won. Yeah, he won. Wow. So he got his got the 5000 back plus whatever oh else he got. Oh, my. Anyway, now, he then gave the startled cashier a little lecture on uh, the nature of collateral. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, he said, remember that in the future, four kings and an ace are always good in this institution for our entire assets, sir. Our entire assets. Assets. Yeah, but you know something? I take the side of the uh, bank teller. I do, too. Uh, uh, for caution. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm not a gambler, you know, really. But gambling was the Frontier's favorite pastime, a sport that was succeeded only by a good gunfight. Oh, man, you're bloody. <laughs> Never in American history had gambling been more widespread or more socially acceptable. Every riverboat and railroad town, every logging camp, every cow town, every mining boom town had its game of cards or dice. Yeah. And throughout all those towns moved the, of course, the quick-handed professionals. And I'm going to talk a little more about those. Yeah, guys. there were some cheats. Yeah, those uh, uh, those men seemed never to work too hard out in the pits. Mm. Uh, As someone out in Deadwood, South Dakota described them, yet always they were arrayed in fine linen and broadcloth fresh from the tailor's iron. Yeah, they always looked like, well, they were dandies. Yeah, uh, yeah, Yeah. that's what they called them. Well, wagering uh, went with the territory. The act of going west was obviously a gamble in itself. And long before the white men set foot uh, in the west, the Indians bet on all kinds of games of skill and... (laughs) 
I just dropped my phone. Greg. Yeah, I know you dropped your phone, but because really, I'm trying to turn it off before I, it rings. Before it rings. Yes. Oh, so, folks, I'm trying to avoid something, and I just made it worse. Yeah, you did. You made a big <laughs> racket. <laughs> Back to the story. Okay. Okay. So, as I said, the Indians had all kinds of games of skill and chance, and as an element in sacred rituals, and also just to pass the time, a man might gamble away any of his personal possessions from his wife to the animal skin on his, his back wife? on contests raging from foot races and lacrosse to the casting of special dice that actually in contrast to the six-sided cubes that we see uh, it only had two painted faces really so it was a dice with only two painted faces a guy would gamble his wife well said you got to have a little fun you know? uh, you're on your own there history <laughs> now the dakota indians even played dice at funeral ceremonies to divide up the possessions of the deceased the Paiulups and other tribesmen of the northwest sometimes stayed up for five days and nights without rest to play a gambling version of button button who's got the button so you're telling me that the indian tribes before the white man even came right. here were gamblers yeah Yeah. Now, this button-to-button game required them to maintain a loud, rhythmic chant the entire time for five days. A night. Five days? A night. They kept this up. Button, yeah. button, who's got the button? Yeah. So, you know, those early pi- uh, explorers, the Spanish conquistadors, introduced the Indians to the concept of playing cards along with uh, horse racing. Uh, but Native Americans uh, fashioned cards from ornately painted tree bark. I didn't know that. But had to await the arrival of the poker-playing immigrants from New Orleans and during the following century to learn what would become their favorite card game. If you were playing go fish that's like a whole tree on the <laughs> floor isn't it that's a lot of a lot of cards <laughs> now one indian a native son of the pacific northwest named white geese sounding on waters proved so proficient at his new pastime that the whites rechristened him poker jim poker jim poker jim a little easier wow. to say a diligent student and a canny philosopher of the game, Poker Jim, formulated with noble simplicity that principle dear to players everywhere tempted to bet on a marginal hand. Quote, two pair, not much good. So the Indians understood this. Yeah, after they got rid of the bark cards, they had... It's pretty regular, hard. Well, How would you like to hold about uh, <laughs> 10 or 12 uh, bark cards? Yeah, in your yeah hand? you'd need two hands. Yeah. Anyway, uh, gambling of all kinds appealed to the white settlers of the West, and, you know, it helped with the loneliness and the boredom of frontier life, and they bet not only on par- par- uh, poker and dice, but also on a dozen other different ways to lose their money from card games as Keno and Faro to Roulette. So now, what did the Indians bet? What did they gamble? I mean, what were well, the goods and services that like they would said, bet? they would bet any of their goods. Horses, really? uh, blankets, wow. uh, maybe bows, arrows, uh, wow. any, uh, anything they had. Okay. But So I had to look up what Keno was. And you maybe know this, but Keno is a lottery pick. You have 20 numbers mm-hmm. between 1 and 80, and you try to match them. Right. Pharaoh is... Two cards, and each card is either a winner or a loser. Uh, There's another one called Chuckaluck. Have you ever heard of that one? No, that one you've got me on. Okay, and I had no idea, so I looked it up, and they use three dice. 
On chuckalock? Yeah, chuckalock. And I don't know how they throw them so or it was how they... depending on what came up on the dice? On the three dice. Okay. Yeah. So uh, chuckalock uh, and pharaoh, kino, roulette, uh, and toward the end of the century, these gaudy gangs of one-armed bandits known as slot machines. Well, you know what I'm curious about, and I don't mean to steal your thunder here, but i got a question. Where was the origination of poker? I have no idea. But... Really? I mean, that was famous all over the West. Yeah, but do you think it probably originated in Europe? I don't know. Yeah, I'm just going to throw that out, that maybe it did. But, uh, you know, if people got tired of one thing, it was easy enough to find a dogfight or a cockfight, a battle between bulls and bears, a horse race or a boxing match, or any situation where there was question as to what the outcome would be. They, They would bet on it. Now, the beginning of white man's gambling was actually the city of New Orleans, which that lends credence to the maybe, you know, a lot of ships from Europe landed in New Orleans. So that leads credence to possibly poker may have came. Like on the riverboat. Right, on the riverboat. Yeah. And that's where we're going to talk about. the In 1812, the first steamboats from New Orleans, gambling and other good times made their way north along the Mississippi and westward along the tributaries like the Arkansas and Missouri rivers with st- stopovers at St. Louis and all the other settlements along the way. It is said that there are a lot of dead gang. Gamblers that are floating on the bottom <laughs> of the river. They don't float if they're on the bottom. That's yet. true. <laughs> they're at the bottom. <laughs> they're bones. Yeah. Well, a third of a century later, no, la- no less than 557 steamboats were uh, along the western rivers, each carrying its complement of con men and card sharps. Their appearance sometimes was crude as their morals. Fat, red-nosed, as waistcoat blotched with food stains, the gambler often... Uh, affected the dress of a preacher, a farmer, anything to kind of not show that he's a professional gambler. I see. Uh, others came closer to the romantic image of the gambler, as you mentioned, as a gaudy dandy. Knee-length black broad uh, cloth coat, brocaded vest, a ruffled shirt, yeah. wearing high-heeled French leather boots, yeah. sporting a diamond ring and a massive gold watch with a heavy gold chain. One uh, famous Mississippi gambler boasted a watch chain 20 feet long that looped several times around his neck. You, oh, I'll bet it did. <laughs> 20 feet. Wow. Now, not everyone among this vivid and varied lot was a cold-eyed crook. A gambler named Canada Bill Jones was a master of a game called Three Card Monty. Oh, I know that. Which is a variation of the old shell game in which the gambler manipulated three cards face down and bet the spectator they could not identify the one they called the baby. Mm. Okay. Which was usually an ace or a face card. But Jones was constitutionally incapable of limiting himself to that game, and he almost always lost at other games, but he loved gambling for his sake. Well, Canada Bill was losing at the card game of Pharaoh one night in a Mississippi river town when a friend tugged at his sleeve and said, Bill, Bill, don't you know this game is crooked? Well, yes, answered Canada Bill, but it's the only game in town. <laughs> well, you know, what was the danger factor for professional gamblers? I, I mean, I think we might get to that. Ah. <laughs> there was there was uh, some danger in that. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, by the same token, uh, not every riverboat gambler lacked conscience. Uh, in 1858, a successful practitioner named John Powell engaged a young English traveler at poker and took him for everything he had. The traveler shot himself to death. Powell was so felt so bad he sent all the winnings, eight thousand and his luggage, to the young man's family. He gave up 
gambling for a year, and Powell was worth half a million dollars, but he returned to gambling and lost everything uh, eventually. No died uh, with nothing. Wow. Now, for the most part, professionals didn't have a conscience. Uh, they didn't have any problem with loading dice, marking cards, or, uh, you know, cheating, basically, uh, on the riverboats. And one authority held that of the estimated 2,000 gamblers on Western waters, only four were honest. <laughs> That's not a very good That's percentage. That's not real good odds. But cheating was also a way of life in the boom towns in San Francisco. Nearly a thousand gambling halls sprouted within a few years of 1848 after the discovery of gold. Um, J.D. Borthwick said, quote, Nothing was heard but a slight hum of voices and the constant clinking of money wow. in all these gambling places. A uh, con man by the name of James Patty was quoted as saying, uh, It was, he believed, his business to cheat. He figured that that was just part of his business. Now, <clears throat> professionals utilized their quick hands to stack the poker deck, uh, deal crookedly, or give their opponents what they call the fast shuffle. Uh, they just flitter them up like a flock of quail and get the aces, kings, and queens, jacks, and tens all together just as easy as anything. A guy named Tom Ellison himself, a professional, observed of his colleagues, quote, a sucker had no more chance against those fellows than a snowball in a red-hot oven. You know, the cheating and all these things, I wonder where, I'm not trying to be facetious, but I wonder where they learned all that, like the marking of a deck and that type of thing. I don't know. Maybe just wow. on their own they figured it out. Wow. But poker-playing gamblers teamed up to cheat unsuspecting opponents. One partner might deliberately deal his friend a series of winning hands, for example, or his friend might stand near the table posing as a spectator while signaling information about the opponent's cards. The signaling process was called iteming hmm. and sometimes involved a series of puffs of cigar, cigar smoke like Indian signals yeah. or the apparently casual but coated scratch of ears, nose, or eyebrows. Wow. One gambler favored a walking stick, which he held at various angles to show the cards. Another who pretended to be... To show the cards? Well, Would to show what the opponent had. The reflection? No, he had. He was standing behind yeah. the opponent, and so his partner was across the table. Yeah. So he would hold his walking stick at different angles, like ace, queen, king, yeah. jack. Whatever. So, so the opponent knew what was in this oh, other guy's hand. My yeah. Goodness sake. So uh, another guy, they said he was a little bit slow, and he just kind of wandered through the slow, uh, saloon, and and he had code, uh, codes that he would play on a fiddle. <laughs> He played his fiddle that would tell the, the, his partner what the other guy had. Man, it's pretty. <laughs> he had all uh, kinds of things. But the standard tool of the card sharp was the marked deck, which enabled him to identify the opponent's hand and, of course, stack his own with high cards. Cards known as readers with secret marks already printed on their backs could be purchased by mail order. A lot of the professionals <laughs> preferred to mark their own. Holy. Uh, sometimes with razor-sharp blades, uh, they could make them convex or concave just so, so slightly that they knew what they had. 
Okay. Wow. Now, taking advantage of marked cards required skillful manipulation, like a surgeon, and they kept their hands really soft so they could feel the 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 card if it was uh, cut with a razor blade just ever so slightly. Um, so, a lot of the card sharps, uh, the winning ace in the hole was provided by a dev- by a device called a holdout, and true to its name, the instrument secretly held out cards until the time in the pot was ready for. Playing holdouts ranged in uh, complexity from simple sp- a simple spring clamp attached to the underside of the table to ingenious contraptions worn under the clothing. One uh, uh, a gambler uh, he had a, a, a buckling under his bare arm. Now I got to tell you about this one guy. He's he was pretty interesting. <laughs> okay. The most elaborate of the sleeve holdouts was invented by P.J. Keplinger, a San Francisco card sharp. Keplinger tried out his new device on some of his professional colleagues in a series of games in 1888, and he was very successful. Though these men were experts at spotting the slightest sign of cheating, Keplinger gave no sign of the employment of anything of the kind. He sat like a statue at the table. He kept his cards right away from him. He did not move a muscle as far as could be seen. His opponents could look up his sleeve almost to the elbow, and yet he kept winning. Now, here's what he did. Keplinger's poker pals stood it as long as they could. Finally, during one of their games, they grabbed him and laid bare his secret. Here's what it was, Zeb. A harness of pulleys, cords, and telescoping silver-plated tubes that extended from his forearm to his shoulders and down both legs. Keplinger needed only to spread his knees slightly to activate the mechanism and move the hidden card down between the two layers of a special double shirt sleeve toward his palm. The victims of this took the revenge by forcing Keplinger to make similar instruments for each of them. Now, is that not... Holy so cow. His, so his buddy said, okay, we, now we know what you got. You make some of these for us so we can do this. All he had to do was wiggle his knees, and a card would somehow slip down well, between the two layers of his shirt. I'm getting the thought here that if you sat down at a card table, you didn't want to get up and go to the bathroom. <laughs> no. Now, Kemplinger, with his cumbersome uh, equipment, uh, was in no position to conceal the evidence. Once his colleagues began to suspect him, other operators were known to go to virtually any lengths to cover up when a gambler, gambler in Dodge City, Kansas, realized that his opponents suspect, suspected him of uh, an ace up his sleeve, he nonchalantly ordered a sandwich. He covertly slipped the, the card between the layers of bread and proceeded to chew and swallow the incriminating evidence. You gotta be kidding! Because me. the other guys were thinking he was cheating, uh huh. <laughs> so he put that card in a sandwich. Do you have a picture of that thing? I don't. <laughs> oh my goodness! We only got a minute left. I know. Uh, you know, it's just interesting. The dens, the all the cheaters. Uh, too often, uh, gambling dispute ended in a gunfight, and of course that was the biggest gamble of all. If you ended up in a gunfight, really? but I've got pictures here of of the tools they used for. Uh, let me just show you this for cutting cards. Oh, my goodness. And then some of them would, on the back of the card, you see right here, they would have like a seven with two dots around it. Yeah. Okay. And these, see these glasses, Zeb, that are blue like sunglasses? Yeah. Uh, The guy that was wearing them could see the other guy's cards and see a number 
because of the blue glasses. Oh, my. There's another instrument in here for loading dice. <laughs> wow. Well, you really have... Uh, Look opened, at that. I'm beginning to think that maybe in your old older years, you're going to start opening up a, <laughs> a saloon with uh, poker. Yeah, and, I don't like the idea of the gunfight in yeah. part of that. They said, didn't they say in the Old West that the real uh, good shots and the people that were good with guns were the gamblers? They yeah. had to be. Well, and, you know, how many of them had a, a little derringer underneath the table? Yeah, no yeah. kidding. I've got so, to run. We're done. I know it. Can we talk more? about this next week maybe you could get the originations of like the game of poker and all that and then what happened in the united states real quick that all of a sudden states started shutting down all the gambling that's a good question and why do some states keep it yeah you know check on that okay thanks. okay doctor history excellent program when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.